Welcome survivors, burnout community, and those disinterested. It's Kelly Bubolt's owner, trainer, and burnout prevention mentor at KB Training Connections. Burnout is not taboo, it's a reality in this fast-paced society. But we are not gonna let it drive the narrative to our stories. We're gonna do something about it. So let's dig in. Let's talk about how we can be there for one another, especially leaders listen up. There's a couple things that we can do or change in our behaviors to make sure that someone doesn't feel alone or help be the catalyst to get them into moving away from burnout and back to energy. Sometimes they just need that support there in order to start moving in the right direction. Sometimes people are just stuck on that hamster wheel. And when we can listen and normalize and increase their hope, they can start moving out of the hamster wheel and realize it doesn't have to keep spinning. So I want to talk about three different ways that we're going to do that. So the first way is active listening. So I'm sure you've heard this some somewhere before. You have two ears, one mouth. But how many people actually behave in that way? Well, none of us really, right? We're just listening to respond. In that nice white space to just listen, let the silence just linger, and let them be the first one to speak can be the catalyst for them to say, you know what? And they have a few ideas or steps to take. So active listening, we think sometimes, oh, I listened to him. I know what he said or she said. But when you break it down, do you really know what they said? Could you paraphrase what they just said instead of your words in their words? What is their body language saying? Sometimes people say, I'm okay. I got this. And their body language says otherwise. They're hunched over. They're really stressed looking. Their face is really stressed. So words are only 7% of what you're obtaining when you're listening, what their vocab is, the structures, 7% of what's coming out of their mouth is what you're receiving. And the same goes the other way. So what you're saying back to them, they're only receiving 7% of what's coming out of your mouth, the words. So what are the other parts? The other parts in active listening is music. So what is your speed, your tone, your pitch? What's your pauses? If you don't get what I'm saying, let's dig in. Music can be different if you say, hey, Jim, what you doing? Versus, hey, Jim, what you doing? Do you see how the tone changed, how the pitch changed? It also can change with pauses. Judy, why are you doing that? Versus, Judy, why are you doing that? Without the pause, it's a little less negative, a little direct. So speed, tone, pitch, pauses, that's the music coming out of our mouth. 38% of what people receive is through music. So words is seven. Music is 38%. And the big kicker is our dance. These are our gestures, our posture, our movement, hairography, armography. What does our body language say that people are reading? So this is where it got dysfunctional during the pandemic because we went virtual, we had masks on, so a lot of the dance disappeared. And that is 55% of what people receive when they're listening. And what you're receiving back. So 55% of your gestures, your posture, your movement, where your arms sit, where what your what you look like is what people are listening to. So what are you giving off? What dance are you giving off? What story are you telling if we just focus on that dance? So know that all three things go into active listening. Words, 7%, music, 38%, and dance, 55%. 
So how can you start showing up to people differently to active listen? 70% of people seeking assistance report having someone to talk to was just help. It's not even that you have to solve their problem or, or take that weight on your back or give the advice. Really, 70% of people just like having someone to talk to, that it helped them figure out their thoughts, helped them figure out the next steps. So active listening, that's one way to support each other. The second one is normalizing. So normalizing is not just sharing your story. It's just sharing that it's more common than you think. So because of my variety of trainings, I'm able to see and have this third-party view that a lot of the dysfunctional things in life are normal. Parents being overwhelmed, mom or dads, you know, screaming at their kids when, when they've had enough, uh, sitting in your car before you go into work, and screaming in your car, you know, to let it all out when you're overwhelmed, people having problems with their spouse, their mother-in-law, their their daughter-in-laws being held at a difficult level as a step-parent versus other parents. They don't even know the struggle. So sometimes normalizing is talking about those things that are difficult. This came up in a recent training where someone who's a step-parent had to go to eight different holiday parties within a two-day time frame. So all they basically do is drive around on the holidays. Well, he said when people talk about the holidays, he always feels like, He's the Grinch because he doesn't care for them because all they do is run around and there's a lot of drama around it. And he said when someone else who was a step parent said the holidays are very hectic for them. And here's why. And it was the same type of situation. He felt relief. He felt like he wasn't a bad parent. He felt like there was hope left. So when we surround ourselves with too much social media, the perception changes versus actual reality, right? Unless you're surrounding yourself with forward-moving people or people you trust and actually like, you're just receiving whatever people want to post. So people post their beautiful marriages and their beautiful vacations and their cute little kids and everything is hunky-dory and the filters are on, so the colors are beautiful. Do you really think that's what's going on at home? Certainly, I don't want every kid to be screamed at and every parent screaming in the garage because they're overwhelmed. It doesn't happen all the time. But to say that it never happens and only being posting pictures of the smiley kids in front of the Christmas tree and the husband and wife anniversary photos that forever and beyond. Can we just get real for a second that sometimes things aren't rainbow sparkles and unicorns? Can we normalize that right now? If you're listening to this podcast and you're burnt out, you're like, yeah, yeah. But for some people that have it really good right now or their life is good, that's that's great. But then you need to normalize where you came from or what you do to help aid in, in keeping your life in that positive way. We need to normalize this, all the steps you take. Sometimes you see these perfect people on, on social media and they're really fit and they're happy and they look really good. Well, if you've ever tried to be really healthy and be fit and look really good, it takes time, it takes effort, and it takes commitment, and that's great if you can do it, but you only see the end picture, the end result that's posted. So can we normalize all the stuff that comes before that? All the commitment they do for food prep? All the commitment they do to have a healthy relationship with people, having those difficult conversations? 
that they want to look good in the mirror. So they, they, they put on the dress or the, the dressy clothes and they do their hair and that's fine. But can we normalize the why they want to do that? That's the stuff I want to see. I want to see the, the behind the scenes, how the movie was made. Because actually, if you can normalize that, maybe some more people will start doing it. If I could see how to actually food prep, maybe I'll start food prepping more. If I can see how to actually do an outfit, maybe I'll actually put together an outfit. Otherwise, it's another leggings and sweatshirt day. So what you're doing is you're almost normalizing the steps before the outcome. Let's actually see reality instead of the alternative reality of social media. Important to discuss who and what you actually see, who and what you actually go through. So a lot of times I'll share some of the outcomes or post-it notes through this normalization activity on social media on my story so people can see that you're not a bad mom because you screamed a couple times. You're not a bad mom because you want to scream in your car before picking up the kids at school. You're not a bad parent because you don't want to run around to eight parties around the holidays. That's insane. And it's okay for someone else to say, that's insane, I feel for you. Because guess what? That might be the first time that that person heard of that. That might be the first time that someone normalized that it's not okay. So you can say, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry. But let's actually normalize what's going on. I'm crying because my kids are a pain in the butt sometimes. I'm crying because I'm overwhelmed. I'm crying because I could be at six places over the holidays instead of enjoying the magic. Let's normalize it. So the more you can talk about maybe what's going on in your life, the more you can make people feel less alone. When I posted for the first time about my burnout, you couldn't imagine the amount of response I got. And it wasn't, I feel for you, what do you need? It was, me too. I'm headed there. I don't know what to do. Girl, I feel you. I couldn't believe the response. And then I was like, wow, I have felt alone for eight straight months, not knowing where to go, who to reach out to, what to do. I, was, I felt weak, like I'm the weak person because everyone else's life seems fine, right, on social media. And then when I got those huge volume of messages, I was like, wow, this is normal right now. It's normal to feel overwhelmed. It's normal to have a chaotic life right now that you feel like you just can't get in order. It's normal to not put up decorations if you're not feeling well. And it's normal to not go out to family events if you need a break. So normalizing gets that community response to say, me too. Yes, I feel that same way. And gets someone to not feel alone. And here, here is the important part of this podcast to realize is your message could save someone. The re I don't enjoy putting my personal life out there. I don't put all my stuff out there, but I put a lot of the burnout stuff and how I'm feeling. I put it out there because maybe I will save someone from physical or mental collapse. Physical collapse might be repairable, just like mine, through holistic healing. But mental collapse, that's suicide. That's end of life. So maybe someone in the mental collapse will say, wow, someone else is in burnout. I'm going to reach out to her or I'm going to use her tools or she suggested this doctor. I'm going to go see this doctor or maybe I'm just going to create my own plan. It's basically reaffirming actual reality instead of the perception of reality. And I'll keep doing it. And some people don't like it on social media. They think it's too raw. They think I shouldn't talk about it because it's seen as weak. 
and I'm not going to stop based on the high volume of response I've already gotten from people saying me too. So the third one to help support people is increase hope. When I, I talk about this in the burnout prevention subscription, but there is a sense of learned helplessness when you cannot find help and you can't find this common relatability with other people that they might be burnt out or alone or don't get in, get along with their mother-in-law or their spouse. And they, they don't yell at their kids. You feel super alone. So you start to kind of back yourself into a corner into this learned helplessness that, you know, this is the way your life is. And for some reason you think it's wrong. So you just quit. You quit trying. You basically go into survivorship mode where you'll eat, you'll drink water, you'll sleep and you'll repeat and become this zombie. And severe learned helplessness is basically you quit altogether. You quit getting up, you quit going to work or you quit taking care of your kids. You can move people from being in that paralyzed state by increasing their hope. And I want to talk about this 1% compound interest effect. It's it's by Hugh Blaine, and he uses it in his leadership coaching. But it's a really cool concept where if you can get people to focus on trying something 1% better than today, and they do it every day, in 72 days based on compound interest, that's 100% improvement. So just over two months, you can have huge improvements. Because they're focused on these little pieces of progress and they're reflecting on, on how good they're feeling, that it almost leads to acceleration. It almost speeds up their improvement actions and habits. So sometimes we just want to be better. We just want to be healed. We just want to feel better. We want this person to leave us alone. We want our mother-in-law to get along with us. We want our kids to stop being a pain in the butt. And we're focused on such a big picture that we forget that if you take little baby steps and reflect on the progress of them, like the 1%, very small, in 72 days, it could be different. Just That's just two months. I've healed my whole entire body from physical collapse of burnout in seven months. Sometimes we focus so big that it seems unachievable. It seems like the biggest mountain we ever have to climb. And sometimes you just got to put the hiker boots on and tie them. That's your 1% tomorrow. Get the hiker boots on in time. And then the next 1% could be pick up a walking stick. And then the next 1% could be take 10 steps. And then the next day you take 10 more. So focus on the 1% improvement one day at a time. And in just over two months, you had 100% improvement. Isn't that crazy? That blows my mind. I've read so many leadership books, been in leadership trainings and workshops and webinars, and I've never heard of this effect. And it makes the most sense. I, I understand how to start actions and habits, and I'm learning a lot more about mindset. But 1%, that's totally achievable in my mind. And I'm a huge quitter on like health diets and exercise, but 1% is doable, isn't it? That seems super achievable. And I get to celebrate every day instead of waiting till I lose 15 pounds or that I worked out seven times a week and just these huge goals that are changing my whole lifestyle. What if I just change a little and then the next day a little bit more and then the next day a little bit more. And in 72 days, I've done 100% improvement. And the interesting thing is on average, it takes 77 days to start a new habit. So go a couple days more and you have a new habit that subconsciously you actually want to do. 
So for me, when I did my burnout recovery change changes, I did do a lot and it took me about three months. So more like 90 days for me to start habits. But this 1% is very doable. So try the 1% compound interest effect. And every day, just move 1% towards an improvement action. Just small action. Very, very small. 1%. And then over two months, you'll have 100% improvement. Focus on the progress. Make sure you reflect because that leads to acceleration. Active listening. Make sure you're paying attention to the dance and music that you're doing with your actions. And do less focus on the words. Do more listening normalizing talk about things that you've struggled with and then leave it open for conversation if if you don't speak your story maybe someone's already living that story and you can help them fast track to recovery or fast track to tips and tricks and techniques that's how i got here that's why people call me when they start to get burnt out that's why employers hire me to train you can listen to a psychologist or a counselor all you want about burnout, but until you experience it, it's a whole different level of talking. I talk about practical application. I talk about the trip over the changes that I had to make. I talk about the struggles and the wins. You can't read about that in a book. That only comes from experience. So what experience have you been through, small or large, that you can normalize? And then increase hope. Let's, let's not stay in learned helplessness and move from that paralyzation into increased hope. Let's drive the acceleration of improvements and progress and move out of that zombie mode. I hope these three were helpful and we'll talk soon. You cannot recover from burnout with prescriptions, procedures, or surgeries. Come join a holistic community specializing in burnout to begin your recovery. Each month for only $10. Get a specialist lecture, worksheets, and action planning delivered right to your email. Take it from a burnout survivor when I say your recovery begins with just one action step. Burnout is a confusing and lonely, lonely journey. I want you to know you are not alone. I hope to see you here again for more recovery tips and education. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your family and friends. If no one shared the word burnout with me, I don't know where I would be today. See you soon.